Today, I've got a special treat for you, okay? I'm going to compare you to dirt (laughs) and treat you like dirt. (laughs) Doesn't that sound exciting? (laughs) Thought you'd be excited. I don't know. Anyway, of course, in God's eyes, we're not dirt. Although we were formed from the dust of the ground, we are now God's precious creations. And he loves us and he values us enough to send his son to die for us. However, one time during Jesus' life on earth, he compared everyone around him to dirt. But in this instance, being dirt wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It depended on what kind of dirt you were. In fact, in his eyes, the more like actual dirt we were, the better. Because the better the dirt, the better the things that will grow in it. Now, some of you know the story I'm going to be talking about today already, and if you're a gardening type or you have a green thumb, you're probably wanting to yell at me already. It's not dirt, it's soil. (laughs) Amen, right? I know, I know. I know that in your mind there is a difference. (laughs) I'll respect that difference today. I'll call it soil from now on. But today I'm going to treat you like soil. Just didn't have the same dramatic ring to it, I thought. So, Anyway, I digress. Let's go ahead, take your Bibles, flip to where Jesus is going to compare us to soil. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we'll be continuing our journey through the Gospel of Luke together, and we'll be beginning in verse 4 today. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one in the pew in front of you and find it on page 864. Page 864, we'll get you to Luke chapter 8. And as we begin, I just want to pray for us that as we hear God's word today, that all our responses would be right. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look into these words that were written so long ago, that they would mean everything to us today on this morning. That we would see exactly what you want to communicate through your spirit to us. That we would understand, that we would grasp it, and that it would change our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we last saw Jesus in Luke, which was a few weeks ago, of course, now, he was in the middle of a bustling ministry work in Palestine. He was constantly teaching and mentoring and healing and performing all kinds of miracles. It seemed that almost everything Jesus did or said left people speechless and amazed by him. And huge crowds would gather everywhere he went. They were rapidly increasing his popularity, and the crowds would follow him everywhere, hanging on his every word. Chapter 8, we saw this a couple weeks ago, started this way in verse 1. It said, Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. This is what he was here on earth to do. He was here to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, otherwise known as the gospel. That God wanted to save his people. That he had sent Jesus to do so, and now through him, people could be saved forever from their sins. This truth was extremely popular and attractive with many people. 
And today's passage, beginning in verse 4, says that a great crowd gathered from town after town. It says, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him. But Jesus' escalating popularity wasn't all it was cracked up to be. See, some of these people were truly, wholeheartedly devoted to him. But many others weren't. And Jesus knew it. They consist, constituted one big crowd. But among the crowd, there were many different people. Everyone was different. Many different responses. It was the same crowd, but very many different people and situations. And as Jesus looked out on the great crowd of people that were coming to hear him speak, he was moved to tell a story. Not so much of a traditional story, but what we call a parable. The most common definition of a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's kind of an allegory. It's comparing things metaphorically, something physical on earth with some, some truth about the kingdom. In order to make some major point about that. And Jesus' parable on this day came from the world of agriculture. Maybe as Jesus prepared to teach his crowd of people, he looked out and saw on the hillsides and the, the rolling hills of farmland around him. Yeah, I mean, Palestine was very much lots of farmland. It was an agrarian, farm-based society, many farmers around. Maybe he, it was planting season, and he saw a farmer in the distance going out into the fields with a big bag of seeds slung over, slung over his shoulder. A farmer in those days would walk back and forth across his fields, rhythmically casting out seed with both hands to spread it out all over his field. Maybe he saw that. Maybe it wasn't the scene. But this would have been a very common sight in Jesus' day regardless. About as common as us as, say, seeing a man mowing the lawn in the summertime. Just a very common sight. So Jesus decided to use this familiar picture to teach a lesson. Now, while the picture might not be very familiar to us, this parable certainly is. To many of us, probably one of Jesus' most famous parables. So as we read these verses today, I'd ask you to read them as if you were part of Jesus' crowd on this day, hearing them for the very first time. Okay, and imagine how you would feel. Let's read together, starting in verse 4. It says this, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, Jesus said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And then with dramatic flair, it says, as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we were part of the crowd that day. I imagine that we'd be a bit puzzled by what Jesus was talking about. Trying to figure out what the point of this parable was. Maybe thinking, hmm. I'm not sure what Jesus is trying to get across to me. What is he saying? 
Well, every time a parable is seen in Scripture, we have to do two things. First of all, we have to interpret it. We have to figure out what he was saying. What is represented in the story? What is this allegory trying to say? What's the point of it all? And then, after we interpret it, we have to apply it. Because parables are always practical to our lives. But interpretation always comes first. We have to understand it. So, what in the world was Jesus trying to say with the story? What is represented, say, by the sower? Or the seed? Or the different types of soil? What's represented by the birds? Or the thorns? Or the rocks that we see? You may know this story very, very well from years in church or in Sunday school. You may know songs about this parable and and have all four places the seed fell memorized. But you may still also be quite unclear of what Jesus was trying to teach with the story. So what did Jesus mean by this parable? And what does it mean for us today? I'll start by saying that calling this the parable of the sower is somewhat misleading because it gives the idea that the sower is of the utmost importance in the parable. But that's not really the case. The sower may represent God, but it may not. Okay? And to be honest, who the sower is doesn't really matter to the interpretation. In fact, the parable is much more about the seeds and the soils, and the sower. Okay, So the focus of the parable is on the seeds and the soils. Now, if you're puzzled at all about what Jesus meant by this parable, you're in good company. This is the exact way that Jesus' disciples felt. And they heard this Jesus tell this story, and they must have filed it away, thinking, man, that's pretty confusing. I'm going to have to remember to ask Jesus about that later, when we're alone. And later on, we see this happen. When they were away from the big crowd, his disciples broached the topic. In verse 9, it says, And when his disciples asked Jesus what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. And then Jesus goes on to explain each section of his parable in more deal, detail. But we're already starting to see in these verses the major point of the story. In short, Jesus used the parable to explain the hearing of and the response to God's word whenever it's heard. Here's how I put Jesus' major point. That we may all hear God's word but we don't all understand the right response to it. We may have, a, we have many opportunities to hear God's word in our life, but we don't all respond the right way. We may all hear God's word, but we don't understand the right response to it. As Jesus spoke, the entire crowd heard God's word being spoken and preached to them. But nowhere near the entire crowd truly understood God's word. They were hearing the same words, but very different messages. When Jesus cried out in verse 8, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He was saying that not everyone was really hearing him. It was basically a call to not let what he was saying go in one ear and out the other. And that was happening. 
He wanted people to reflect on his teaching and then to respond appropriately. To bring this into today, it was a call to not merely be a church attender or not merely be a pew sitter or a sermon listener. Whenever you hear God's word, merely listening is never enough. We must reflect on it, we must make sure we understand it, and we must respond to it. Jesus said in verse 11 that the seed in the parable represents the word of God. Read in verse 11, it says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Very straightforward. He doesn't say in which form, although he emphasizes hearing God's word. But of course, we could hear God's word in many different ways. We can hear God speak to us when we read or when we study the Bible. We can hear him speak to us when we memorize or meditate on his word. We can hear him speak when we read scripture out loud like we did this morning. Or when we sing songs that are full of scripture. And in probably the closest form to Jesus' original intent, we can hear him speak through the teaching and preaching of his word. So, that means that as I preach God's word to you today, it is like I'm scattering seed onto all of your hearts. It's like I'm the sower. Don't give me credit for that. The Holy Spirit deserves the credit. But it's like God's word is being spread. And as this seed is being scattered into your lives, you're all probably getting something slightly different from God's Word. You're receiving it in different ways. You're focusing on different things. For some of you, what I say will go in one ear and out the other. You'll forget what I said by lunchtime. Some of you will leave here today and still not understand the point of what Jesus was saying. Others of you will like what you hear, but not enough to do anything about it. For some of you, you'll appreciate the sermon and you'll want to do something, but then other things in your life will distract you from applying it. And then there are some of you that, like Jesus' desire, will have ears to truly hear. And you'll reflect on God's Word. You'll grasp it, and it will change your life. We've got to make sure that when we come to God's word, we have ears to truly hear what he's trying to say to us today. Now, when we think of parables, usually we think parables are meant to help us understand by telling us some kind of story. But what Jesus says here kind of turns that idea on its head. Did you notice what he said? According to Jesus, parables were actually meant to protect secrets. Or maybe more accurately, to only partially reveal secrets. Parables were meant effectively to separate Jesus' hearers into two camps. Who was there to actually hear and learn and understand and grow? Or who was there to merely be entertained? Leon Morris says that Jesus was looking for more than superficial adherence, so he intensified his use of parables Stories which yielded their meaning only to those who were prepared to search for them. The parables demand thought and spiritual earnestness. They separate the sincere seeker from the casual hearer. 
See, for some, parables did help them understand the kingdom of God better. For others, it actually prevented them from understanding the kingdom. That's what he says, verse 10. He says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. But why would Jesus do this? Why would he keep secrets from people? Was that fair? Well, let's be clear on this. The parables were not the cause of people's hard hearts. Okay? The parables were the seed that fell on the already hardened hearts. In other words, parables kept secrets from already unreceptive people. People who didn't really want to hear. A parable wouldn't have changed their hearts and Jesus knew it. Remember that by now, Jesus had already been outright rejected by many people that had seen him. Daryl Bach says that this concealing function of the parables is a response to previous rejection of Jesus. A rejection that has consequences. In short, what the disciples get in parables is insight into the kingdom. But what is given to those who reject God's offer of revelation is a story that prevents them from understanding what God is doing. That's what Jesus was doing with the parables. And we also have to realize, don't belittle how much of a gift it was to have any kind of revealing of these secrets at all. Okay, We might wonder, why does the kingdom of God even have secrets? Well, there are many things that mankind naturally doesn't know. Our knowledge is not infinite. We don't know everything. And God has no obligation to reveal anything to us. We certainly don't deserve it. But in his grace, he has revealed many mysteries and secrets of the kingdom to his people. Whenever scripture actually talks about secrets or mysteries, it usually is talking about how God has already made them known. How he's revealed them. It's kind of like the secret, you can call it a secret, that my wife and I kept regarding the name of our second child who was just born. Okay? We picked out the name for him, Stephen, fairly early on in Angela's pregnancy. And we chose to tell certain people the, the name we had chosen. But we didn't publicize it anywhere. We didn't broadcast it. It wasn't fully revealed to everyone. We didn't make any kind of public announcements. If someone asked, we told them, but it wasn't revealed. It was really an open secret until the day that Angela gave birth, and that's when we told everyone, this is the name we chose, Then it was fully revealed. God's kingdom is kind of like that. It's a secret, but it's an open secret, and thank God for that. It's an open secret. If you have believed in Jesus. Do not minimize the first part of verse 10, which is to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. What a blessing. Don't take it for granted. Thank God right now that it is possible for you to hear and reflect on his kingdom secrets. It's a blessing. And really, the greatest part of the mystery of the kingdom of God is actually Jesus himself. 
In Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul said that God's mystery has been fully revealed to the church. And he said that I became a minister to make the word of God fully known. The mystery or the secret hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God has chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is the mystery. He is the open secret. So the question becomes, have you come to understand the mysterious glory of Christ in you? Do you know more than just about Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus in a personal way, as your Lord, and as your Savior, and as your God? Do you know about his death and his resurrection and what they mean for you? That if you will repent of your sins and you'll believe in him, that you can be saved forever. Hearing the gospel is never enough. You must respond. You have to receive it. The secret of the gospel has been given to some, and not all people will receive it. But today, you have the opportunity to make sure that you do. Will you? Will you receive it today? I'd love to help walk you through this or talk with you more or answer questions. Just come talk to me after the service is over. It's so important. I have to warn you as well that hearing the gospel, hearing this good news, always either moves someone closer to Christ or it further hardens their heart. There is no neutral middle ground. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. For you who have ears to hear. Getting back to this parable, we saw already that the, the seed that's being sown represents God's word. But it, if the seed is God's word, then you can see why it doesn't really matter who the sower is. It could be God scattering his word, or it could be refer to a multitude of human preachers. It could even refer to radio or TV broadcasts or printed Bibles or gospel tracts. Any, the, the sower is simply whatever delivery method is used to get God's word out. Okay? The seed of God's word has been scattered broadly, falling on many different types of ground. And it has even fallen onto your heart because you've heard God's word. The question is, how are we responding to it? If the seed represents God's word, then as we go on into the parable, the four types of soil represent four different heart conditions of people. Each one represents a different heart condition, a different response, and a different destiny. But only one out of the four heart conditions produces real, good, spiritual fruit. And Jesus explains that everyone that hears God's word responds in one of these four ways. And you this morning are no exception. As you hear God's word today, you will respond in one of these four ways. 
Guaranteed. Okay? Now, I said in the first point that we don't all understand the right response to God's Word. So what is the right response? Well, we'll see it eventually. But first, Jesus wants us to see the wrong responses. Here's the first one. First wrong response, or really the first wrong heart condition. Back in verse 5, Jesus had said this, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Later on, he explained what he meant in verse 11. He said, The seed is the word of God. Verse 12, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. I summed up Jesus' explanation this way, that the devil thwarts some of us from believing entirely. Some of us don't truly hear God's word because the devil gets in the way and he thwarts us from believing entirely. Again, verse 12 The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This may be you this morning. You have heard the word of God. But the devil or his demons are already plotting on how to make you forget or ignore it. If you don't know who the devil is, the devil is a supernatural and powerful angel gone bad. He was corrupted by his pride, cast out of heaven, and now seeks to destroy God's work. And one of God's best and most glorious works is the work that he does in our hearts to transform them. Satan hates God. Satan hates God's word. He hates God's followers, and he hates God's word changing people's lives. If you're a true Christian with true and strong faith, you do not need to fear Satan. Okay? You do not need to fear the devil, but you do need to be aware of his schemes against you and fight them. However, if you're not saved, If right now you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then you do need to fear what Satan can do to you. Because what this tells us is that Satan can keep you from ever being saved. See that? Verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Sometimes when I play a game with other people, maybe a card game or a board game, and it becomes clear that I've already lost, I'm not going to win this game, I get the attitude, well, if I'm going down, everyone else is going down with me. <laughs> right? If I can't win, I don't want anyone else to win either. <laughs> I believe that's very similar to actually how Satan feels. (laughs) He knows that his demise is sure. But the last thing he wants is for God's plan of redemption to win and us to be saved. He would love it to have all humanity damned along with him. 
And so, when God's Word is preached, or it's read, or it's studied, or meditated on, Satan comes swooping in like a hungry bird to try to snatch the seed away. You might do this in many different ways. You could do this by making us forgetful. Forgetting what we intend to obey. He might do this by making us inattentive, unfocused, absent-minded, daydreaming. He might do this by keeping us up late on Saturday night so that we're exhausted on Sunday mornings. Can't focus. Maybe end up nodding off. Satan might snatch seeds away by distracting us by, with the sins of those that we know around us, always judging others instead of examining ourselves. He might do this by planting doubts in our mind along with God's truth. His methods are nothing if they are not crafty, deceptive, and often unnoticed. I love what J.C. Ryle said about this. He pointed out that often Satan is most active inside the church, out of all the places in the world, because Satan knows that the church is where much of the seed of God's word falls. And J.C. Ryle says this, Nowhere does Satan labor so hard to stop the progress of that which is good and to prevent men and women from being saved. From him come wandering thoughts and roving imaginations, Listless minds and dull memories, sleepy eyes and fidgety nerves, weary ears and distracted attention. In all these things, Satan has a great hand. People wonder where they came from and marvel how it is that they find sermons so dull and remember them so badly. They forget the parable of the sower. They forget the devil. Satan might try to do this with everyone but he's most successful with a certain type of heart, a certain type of soil, a heart that has become hard, like a dirt path that has been trampled on repeatedly. There are so many things in our lives that can harden our hearts toward God. And so I wonder today, has your heart been hardened by maybe some bitter experiences you've had in your life? Has your heart been hardened by someone who hurt you? Maybe inside the church. Has your heart been hardened by an unwillingness to give up a certain sin? Has your heart been hardened by the peer pressure of the friends around you that have driven you away from God? Maybe your heart's been hardened by a simple and tragic indifference. If your heart has been hardened, you're making the devil's job easy. And in case you think you're only a victim of the devil, you're not. He doesn't make your heart hard himself. He just takes advantage of it. I hope that you will not assume that this part of the parable only describes someone else. 
because it may describe you. And if you see your heart as being part of the beaten path today, something has got to change. And that something is your heart. What you need to do today is to plead with God to make your heart soft again. Pray to Him to make you receptive to His Word, to transform your heart. And ask, like the Lord's Prayer says, to deliver us from the evil one. Make our hearts soft. You may feel like your heart maybe is part of the hard pathway today. But then again, maybe you don't. Maybe you have no problem staying focused on hearing God's word. And and the devil has his work cut out for him to distract you. But as we're going to see as the story continues, there are many other issues in the way that we hear God's word. They keep us from hearing in the way that Jesus wants us to. Jesus, as he continues his explanation, is going to describe two more faulty ways to respond and then describe the only correct response to God's word. And to hear more about them, you're going to have to come back next Sunday. (laughs) I prefer not to do this, but for the sake of your hungry stomachs on a long weekend, if I went on to describe the three final remaining soil types, you'd probably be here till 2 o'clock. So... And I don't want to shortchange this parable. It's too rich. It's too important to rush through or curtail. And we still also have an exciting baptism to get to to close our service off. But I know, I know some of the more annoying words we can see at the end of a book or a TV show or a movie are the words to be continued, right? <laughs> I remember reading an exciting fiction novel once and As I came to the end, I had no idea that this was just the first book of a trilogy. I thought it was a standalone story all by itself. And I couldn't figure out how the author was going to wrap up everything in the last few pages. But it all made sense on the final page when I saw those three fateful words. To be continued. (laughs) What? You mean I have to wait months to get the next book? (laughs) But my sermons may not be as exciting as a good novel, but I'm going to leave you hanging. Okay? To be continued. We're going to finish up the parable next Sunday. If you're not going to be here next Sunday, you will be able to hear the conclusion online at our website, as you can do any week, calvarybaptistchurch.ca. It's on the bulletin that you have. We'd love to help you out that way if you don't, if you aren't here with us in person. But I do want to close this morning by giving you some hope. There are many incorrect responses to God's word, and only one that Jesus says is right. But, because of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, there is hope for all of us to have the right response. It may seem intimidating to you to obey God's word in the way that God wants. It may even seem impossible at times, especially if your heart is hard or you feel constantly attacked by the devil. But just because you have a certain type of soil in your heart right now doesn't mean it has to stay that way. You see, God is in the business of heart transformation. He does it every day. 
He can cultivate and transform any type of soil into the good soil that he desires. He can take the hard heart and make it soft again. And if our hearts are soft and sincere, God helps us along every step of the way. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit in John 14 and 16 when he said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And later he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He convicts us. He reminds us. He teaches us and guides us. He corrects us and he helps us grow. And best of all, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Which means, think of this parable in the Holy Spirit. Satan is on the outside like a hungry bird, desperately trying to snatch God's word away. But God's own Holy Spirit is inside of us with the upper ground. After all, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And he will win the battle. I pray that you'll let that battle be won in your heart Every time you hear God's word, he or she who has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray this morning that if any of our hearts here are hard, I pray that you would tear them up this morning. That you would cultivate them. That you would soften them. Help us to receive the seed of your word receptively, with openness. Help us to obey. And I pray that you would deliver us from Satan. Deliver us from his temptations, from his distractions, from his schemes. You have the power and we trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name.